from Cape Town. This is the voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The voice of the Cape. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. legal hour and um, as usual uh, we have our uh, resident um, guests you know as I would call them by now uh, we have none other than uh, attorney Faisal Bardin so alaikum Faisal alaikum salam Ihsan and to all the voice of the Cape listeners and then we have uh, attorney Nazir Park who's also not a stranger to this program so alaikum Nazir wa alaikum salam Ihsan and to the listeners of the voice of the Cape yeah, tonight we're doing a look at it's a general program so I'm inviting listeners to send in their whatsapps you know with any questions that they may have that's been niggling that they've been bothered with uh, you know and can't seem to, to, to get an answer from anyone because we all know there's a whole lot of lawyers out there uh, everybody seems to want to give advice but not necessarily the right advice um, tonight we have uh, the two lawyers here and myself and uh, we will answer all the questions that we were hoping to answer all the questions but more specifically tonight you know for the lawyers and for the listeners we're dealing with the topic of business partners deals and shocks and uh, I mean people are very used to, to, um, to saying that um, the, the that person is a shock or that person is not a shock and uh, so we're gonna learn tonight a little bit about who's who in the in the zoo so Faisal, business. You know, we've seen a whole lot of um, the, the issues that uh, we've seen with business people. You know, I mean, that's what lawyers do. You know, they deal with uh, with problems, especially with, well, of course, it's the family side, but then there's, of course, the business side. The business deals that people enter into, why is it that in our community we still have people entering into deals and giving money to each other or borrowing or lending money without entering into proper contracts. Yeah, I think, son, um, you know, we talk a lot on the radio station about family matters and, you know, related to that. And we don't talk enough maybe about, uh, you know, these this topic uh, we have today on business transactions and business itself and, you know, the pitfalls and things like that. So I think maybe it's, it's time we... We, we talk a bit about that and uh, we'll keep it as simple as possible and the listeners can send in the questions. But I think what we want to do to just kick off is that I just thought we will talk about the different types of business structures in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Just to give a very brief, we're not going to go into depth about it. Faisal, you must be in mind, we're going to break for a shine in about two minutes. Yeah, so maybe I'll just mention the, the different structures quickly and we can uh, discuss it afterwards or people can ask questions about it. So the, the business structures are basically... Um, you know, mentioned in the Companies Act or regulated by the Companies Act and the different types of structures in South Africa is the one which is a sole proprietor, which everybody knows out there is a person who trades on his own in his name. Uh, he has a small business and um, that uh, how he submits his taxes, etc. and carries on 
the business in uh, in a sole proprietorship and that's very straightforward simple the other one is a partnership is that we there's maybe two to a maximum of 20 people who uh, get together and they form a partnership and there we normally recommend you must do a partnership agreement don't enter into a partnership and just do an oral agreement amongst 20 people or 10 people or 5 or even 2 people mm-hmm. and you don't record your partnership in writing who does what and uh, who deals with finances and, and who and, and, uh, and Faisal probably because they don't record things in writing they start accusing the, yes. people of being a scallum that, that's where the problem starts um so your partnership agreement, go to an attorney, get the attorney to consult with you and draft that partnership agreement, uh, f- you know, discuss it and the terms so you understand what role each partner plays in that partnership. Okay. Uh, okay. Nazir, uh, just one comment before we're going to give over to the technician. Well, just coming back to your question, why do people not enter into agreements? I think they still have that old mindset in place where the shake of the hand was as good as a guarantee. Unfortunately, these days you see it more and more in the courtrooms where and that, that principle doesn't apply any longer. And I think people need to commit their okay. business relationships to, to agreements. Nazir, I'm going to quiz you a lot on the types of agreements you know that people refuse to enter into. And uh, I'm hoping that people will, uh, will sit and, and we'll deal with things like the sureties. Uh-huh. We'll deal with things like the sessions. We'll deal with a lot of other things. From Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. After Isha Salah, and we are back with the Legal Hour. I've got with me Faisal Badin and uh, Nazir Parker, and we're speaking about business partners, deals, and sharks. And uh, we're dealing with various uh, entities, what type of companies, why people should be um, getting into you know contracts, you know, especially when uh, when there's money involved. And uh, basically to lessen the, the risk to people. Faisal, you were still talking about uh, the yes. different entities? The types of business structures in, in South Africa. Before the break, we, I mentioned the sole proprietorship and the partnership. And how important the partnership agreement is if you are forming a partnership between two or more partners. Remember, you can only have up to 20 people as in a partnership. And the next one is private companies. I think that's the most common used one at the moment. It's a PTY Limited. We see those words in as letters in brackets, PTY Limited. And there you would have... Um, a director and you would have well maybe more than one director and you will have shareholders who own the shares of a company so that's quite uh, quite um, um, you know a common type of uh, business structure that many companies use uh, in South Africa and you need to um, you know when you are trading with other parties you need to inform those that other parties that you are PTY limited so in all your station you know you need to put it out there that you are PTY limited and then you get your public companies that's um, which is your listed not listed company companies who offer shares to the general public to raise capital um, and there you would have also a minimum of about three directors um, and a minimum of one shareholder 
um, Though that company, the private company, will just add LTD, uh, you know, behind its name, and you know that's a, 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 a public company. Uh, the next one is a personal personal liability companies, and that type of companies are where the uh, directors um, are basically liable for the uh, actions of the company. And the very uh, common um, use of those type of companies would be attorneys and accountants, etc., where. Mm. Uh, personal liability companies and they call them incorporated companies um, and then you get your state owned companies your uh, state owned enterprises uh, those are the government owned companies which we all know about out there and uh, last but not least is your non-profit companies and your non-profit companies are basically established for to form you know your social activities your um, uh, you know communal groups um, your um, non non-profit entities who go out there and, and serve the serve mm. the community out there so all the profits that you gain from this company goes back into the communities you can't pay out shareholders you can however pay salaries to uh, the workers of the administrative expenses that's right yeah mm. so that's just a list of of the companies and just lastly close corporations you know since uh, may 2011 they you no longer can um, register close corporations however the existing closed corporations at that point in time could still operate and they are still closed corporations operating today but you cannot register new closed corporations so your your best option would be to register a company the pty yes mm. nazir uh, we just wanted to check with you quickly i mean there's a whole lot of uh, other issues um that that bad faith between partners. I mean, people normally end up uh, right with partners, and then of course uh, something happens. You know, somebody feels that they've been shortchanged, and then of course this leads to bad faith. What what are the what's the best options for people that just enter into a partnership? Sean, firstly, you need to make sure that you have a properly structured partnership agreement. Everybody and all the partners, whether it be two to twenty, as Faisal has explained must be 100% sure of what they are going to achieve in this partnership, what the, what the consequences will be, if there's losses, what the consequences will be, because in partnerships you're going to share together and you're going to lose together. Mm. So it must be, it's critical that the partnership agreement has all the necessary T's and C's in it, especially when it comes to one partner maybe like you said it earlier, maybe being a little bit underhanded in his, in his okay. dealings. Okay, well, Nazir, it brings me to this. In fact, I'm just thinking about this now. Now, when a husband and a wife, let's assume the husband and a wife is only married uh, Islamically, uh. and they buy a house together, would it not be prudent then to also enter into a partnership agreement in respect of this particular house? It would be. They are partners in, in, in that sense, in a commercial sense, they are partners. So it would be important for the husband and the wife, if especially the only married Sharia-wise, um, until such time that the legislation may change in the near future, that they enter into properly constructed partnership agreements. Because what happens in the event of a divorce? Who's going to be receiving benefits and 
and uh, who's going to who put in more, who's going to get out mm. what they put in. You know, there's so many pros and cons. Yeah, yeah there's always an issue. You know, I just p- I paid the rates for electricity yeah. and I paid the bond. Now, how do yeah. we then calculate? I spent 200,000 rent to improve the property, property so on so, and so forth. So the partnership agreement could deal with those type of issues. But now, why is it that, uh, I mean, I've been in practice, you've all been in practice for a while. Mm. It doesn't really happen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. I think the people, when they purchase the property, they think if they purchase it in 50-50, they think that's sufficient. I own a 50% share. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm covered, I'm secured, but it doesn't deal with the nitty-gritty things. Mm. The, you know, in the, the event of death, the, in the yeah, event yeah, of... All those things. And even if you buy together and you perhaps going to abide as an investment and you're going mm-hmm. to rent out the property you must deal with those type of issues you know um, who's going to collect the rent what you're going to use the rent for are you going to pay the bond or are you going to pay maintenance or are you going to pay you know those type of things also and I'm thinking of, of siblings children let's uh. um, say they've inherited a property and they mm. all they got shares in that particular property uh. now in the app if they had a partnership agreement in respect of that property, it will avoid the uncomfortable um, issues that will arise later. Let's say uh, three siblings on one property. Now, one of the siblings, uh, their daughter is getting married and they need a place to stay. Then that sibling will say, yeah, but you know what? Uh, I have a share in this property, but can my daughter stay there? Now, the other two siblings... They don't want to cause problems within that family uh, you know, by saying no, because then it's of course uh, But if they had a partnership agreement, then possibly that eventuality could have been dealt with. I agree. You know, funny that you mentioned that kind of an example, because I'm actually busy with a matter of a very similar nature. Uh, mm. We had the children, four children, inherited a property, um, three girls, one boy. Boy inherited a 40% and the 60% was divided amongst the three girls, 20, 20, 20. Um, the girl is not living, one of the, the, the females are living in the property now. It's causing all sorts of conflict because nobody actually took the time and did what you're suggesting now is to enter into an agreement so everybody mm. understands their rights and obligations towards the property. Mm. Now the one in the property is being the targeted one. Um, by everybody else, um, so it, it happens. In, I'm dealing with. No, no, no. I'm testing the, the the theory because I mean it's not normal. I mean it's not normal for people to do that, yeah. but it could mm-hmm. become the new normal. Yeah. Okay. It's like you mentioned, especially if there's inheritance and there's three parties. And the one party is going to continue living in the property, and the one party who's living in the property might not have any other accommodation, mm. was living with a parent at the time, and when the parent passed away, continue living in the property. That party might not have a sufficient income to pay <laughs> rental. Yeah. So there's all those type of issues that come into play. However, unfortunately, there's some individuals in that co-ownership who gets disadvantaged mm. because the party who's living in the property is only benefiting from that uh, property. Mm. Yeah, it's, no. it's unfortunate also, sorry to interrupt you, Sandra, mm. it's unfortunate also that when the father or the mother that does the will also doesn't specify but more in terms of... No, no, but I don't want to go into the realm of, 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 of inheritance. I'm talking about specifically... Mm 
of co-ownership. You know, where people mm. have a co-ownership mm. of property, and if there's a if there's a document up front that will stipulate various mm. scenarios yeah. in future, then of course there's going to be less problems mm. in that family. I agree. Okay, and now also mm. you say up front, it doesn't mean also now at this stage you can't enter into yes. that. So mm. if you inherited the property three, four, five years ago, mm-hmm. and you feel that listen, we want to do now the agreement, you can still mm. do it. Yes, you even know, between a husband and a wife. Yeah, yes. you can still do that agreement and, you know, to avoid future problems. Mm. Okay, that's fine. And then the second thing is, before I just jump off there, um, of course, when one does divorces, you have a lot of uh, problems, you know, when there's a when there's a, a, two, a husband and wife owning a property. And, of course, then they always fight about who gets the offshare, you know, the other party. And if a... A partnership agreement can deal with that up front, you know, that either the one party pays out the other party or vice versa, or they sell it to a third party. Mm. But in that way, you know, it, it just it can just avoid a whole lot of problems. Mm. But let's get back to some of these deals. Now, sureties, big problem in our community, mm. big problem is for South Africans, you know. You have uh, creditors that demand, oh, no, I will not give you this loan. You need a surety. And a lot of people, they, they, they end up signing a surety, not even knowing what they're signing. Faisal, take us through the first part of surety. Nasir, I wanted to comment on it as well. Yeah, well, if you can avoid signing a surety, avoid signing it. You yes. know, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's the first point, if you can. Um, especially, say, for instance, you got a family member and a family member comes to you and says, listen, I need to enter into this contract, but they're looking for a surety agreement. And what it basically means, if that person doesn't perform, you're going to be responsible for that person's non-performance and financially you're going to be tied to that uh, agreement. Yeah, but there's a bigger problem. I mean, sometimes you you can, then the creditor can come directly to the the surety. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So if the, uh, the debtor fails to perform, uh, they can look to the surety to claim that outstanding right. amount, whether it is a rental, um, yeah. you know, or whether it's a loan or whatever the case may be. So, so the surety must be aware that you know you're signing it. It's not just ah, uh, you know, signing the agreement. Nothing can go wrong. You, the, you know, the debtor will, will things comply. will go wrong. There is a huge possibility that things can go wrong, and then you are liable in terms of that uh, surety agreement. So that's the the first point. And we said if you can avoid. So there are instances where you cannot avoid it. Yes. For instance, if you're going to take out a loan in the name of a company or a bond in the name of a company and you're the director of the company, the bank is going to ask you to sign a surety mm. you know, on behalf of the company, on the performance of the company. And if the company fails, you then would be personally liable as if it was a personal liability company as I mentioned earlier in which attorneys and accountants operate because they are personally liable for the transactions they conclude with the public are there. But Nazir, there's certain instances where a young person wants to rent a property mm-hmm. and then the landlord insists, you know, that uh, your parents must must be surety. Mm-hmm. What would what would you prov- advise those parents in that instance? Well, son, unfortunately the commercial realities these days is that if you're a young person with no track record and your landlord is going to do a check on you to determine whether you are, call it, uh, worthy of, of, of leasing your property out to and he deems or she deems it not so 
then they are going to ask for suretyship agreements to be put in place for like in this example you, you mentioned the, the parents um, I would then suggest and advise the parents that they need to scrutinize that suretyship agreement to see what the extent of their liability will be Nazir surety agreements normally are standard I don't think you, you, you are placed in the position to negotiate on, on what's the content of that, that surety, is that correct? No, that is so, Israel, but sometimes there will be a limit in terms of the amount of surety that mm-hmm. you will be liable for. So, for example, the, the parents can say we will be a surety to a maximum of, call it, as for discussion, 10,000 rand mm-hmm. and nothing over and above that, and you know your, your extent is limited to 10,000. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Faisal mentioned now, the, the landlord or the creditor in the scenario can choose against who he's going to go and collect his rental from, whether he's going to go against the principal debtor, who in this case is the youngster, or whether he's going to go against the parents as the sureties, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reality. You open yourself up for um, for litigation in the event that the principal debtor doesn't perform. Okay, so so bottom line is if you can avoid a surety, then please avoid that surety. Don't uh, sign things that you uh, that's going to bite you later on. And the, the bad thing about signing a surety sometimes is that the person who signed surety did not have the option to pay it in installments. Yeah. The full amount becomes due and payable normally. Faisal? Well, the correct? balance. The, the balance, balance is outstanding, yeah. yeah. Mm. The full balance becomes outstanding yeah. and, yeah. and they must pay. The full balance, yeah. I just want to mention one more thing, Akshan, just on this, if, if, you may, if I may. It's also, in the suretyship agreement, there will also be what we call a domicilium address mm-hmm. that the, the surety selects. Six months later, they move from that address and they don't notify the creditor. Judgments can be taken against you without you knowing in instances like that. Well, that, that happens oh, very often. Very often. And people come for credit checks and they see there's a judgment against the name and they don't know anything about it. So just be, be certain that if you do move your premises or your, your, your service address, that you notify your creditors. Yeah, lots of people think if you move, then you're never going to see the debt again. <laughs> and that's not yeah. the reality. Now, sometimes, and I mean, part of our topic is the shocks. Now, of course, sometimes people will come to you with a deal that you can't believe. Uh, you know, it, it just sounds too good to be true. Mm. Now, w- what is the rule? When the deal sounds too good to be true. It probably is. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. It's like, just, 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 just examine some of these uh, deals that people come with. They're going to double your money. They can buy uh, this and they can uh, give you this type of return. What should the, 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 the person, the potential investor do at that point in time? What is his due diligence? Well, I think first, uh, before just jumping into any investment, you need to um, do some research. Like you said, due diligence. Um, you know, try to establish the uh, history of the company that is offering this um, 100% return or 200% return mm-hmm. you know so go back into the into the history now, Faisal, I, I, I'm making a very bad example by calling it 100% I would say if anybody offers you anything in excess of 10% mm. it's already too good to be true mm. yeah so, so yeah, as so, little as that yeah so when they when you know when you're going to do that type of investment so, so do your homework and check out the the place. Now, you must understand when people come to you and they and they um, explain to you these investments. These people are normally trained in marketing. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So <coughs> when they got the skills of marketing, they will talk to you and they will paint this rosy picture as you know what type of uh, profits you could generate out mm-hmm. of this investment you know and it all sounds good it sounds nice and it, you, you get excited and you you know they don't uh, normally talk about the pitfalls or the shortcomings of these type of investment. and if you don't ask the questions you're never going to know mm-hmm. if you're too overexcited so um, that's the first thing so investigate the company and uh, see if there's a track, track record and normally you, you'll be able to to establish that um, that information quite quite easily, and then speak to people also about it. Find out from people, you know, do you know hear about this company? Did you invest in this company before? You know, what was your experience with this company? Uh, you could obviously um, check the internet out also and see if there's uh, some you know bad publicity around the company. Um, so there's a few things that you personally can do, and mm-hmm. then if you're still not 100% sure, you can get uh, you know other people to do some research for you. Mm. Um, that, that's on investments. There's also other things where, with the movable property, where people are put in trouble with their property, mm-hmm. um, and the bank is breathing down their neck, and they're threatening floor foreclosure. And then you get all of a sudden these, uh, you know, companies or so persons coming out, and they're going to mm-hmm. save your property, mm-hmm. uh, but you might just sign on the dotted line. Uh-huh. And normally, what happens, you are transferring the property out of your name and they promise that you can buy back the mm-hmm. company um, so be very careful about those transactions I, I want to examine that a little bit more because that happens very very often mm-hmm. and I think Nazir you've also had a lot of experience yeah. with that live from Cape Town this is the voice of the Cape the voice of the Cape the voice of the Cape Hour with Isan Higgins And we are back with the legal hour with Ihsan Higgins here. And of course, we have Nasir Parker and Faisal Bardin in studio. We're talking about deals that go bad. We're talking about sharks. We're talking about businesses. At the moment, we're talking about people that fall into arrears. And suddenly, somebody knocks on their door. And uh, this person says, you know what? I can save your property. Of course, you're going to have a sigh of relief and you're thinking this person is now going to write out a check and save the day. But that's not always the case. Nasir, can you just take us through what's the normal scenario? Unfortunately, at the time that these incidents plays out, you're already in a vulnerable position because you fear that you're going to lose your property and the banks are going to foreclose on the property. Then when you have this hand that's extended from a complete stranger and saying that I'm going to save your property, you need to grasp it with both, with both hands. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the situations that plays out nowadays is that these, call it investors, um, buys the property for literally next to nothing, not even close to market value. And they reassure the owners that they will be able to buy it back from them at a small markup. Mm. And the owners agree because they think in four or five or six months' time their financial positions will change. And lo and behold, at six months down the line, you, the owners or the previous owners now are faced with eviction applications, losing the property in any event, and the property gets sold to a third party for a profit by these investors. So these, these people aren't always what they make themselves out to be. 
and I think Faisal's points early on are doing your due diligence and checking all the, the, the all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted is extremely important. So when this happens, Faisal, mm. wouldn't it be prudent then mm. for the person who's obviously in this vulnerable position to tell that person, okay, can we go to a lawyer of my choice? You pay for the lawyer, seeing that you obviously now, and you can add that to your markup at the end of it and see if that person is going to bite. Yeah, look, my experience is, uh, because I've dealt with these type of um, situations and the proposals that has been put forward to the property owner. So normally they would say they got their own form of attorneys. These are the people who are proposing uh, the transaction to you. And their firm of attorneys will give you the information or the contracts that you must sign, etc., etc. So, on when that client came to me and said, "Listen, yes, this is my situation, and here's the, uh, the, the the information that I received uh, from these uh, from this company who's going to rescue me because financially needed some um, some money." And then I said, okay, let's do an, um, because they th- he thought they're just going to give him the money and he's mm-hmm. going to repay the money at a later stage, either when he sells the property or mortgage the property, whatever the case may be. And then on close investigation, when the information was given to the client and I made contact with the other parties on the other side and um, specifically asked the question with the transaction, is the property going to remain in the owner's name or must the property be transferred out of the owner's name into the new entity's name? And they confirmed then, no, it must be transferred out of the, entity, yeah. out of the owner's name, mm. the, the property. And then there's a buyback type of scenario. You know, so initially the people who promotes or uh, you know sells this this transaction or this deal to the property owners do not mention that they mm. do not mention that the property must be transferred out of the owner's name so in other words it's like um, you know they're selling their property yes uh, they're selling two. it for, for, selling for, it for, for silly price for silly price exactly mm-hmm. and that silly price just about covers the bond you know, so the mm. bank is off your neck. Mm. But bef- before you thinking I'm getting rid of the bank, you're actually getting rid of your, your equity in that of property Of your equity well. in the property, yes. Mm. So, okay, so that's also one of the examples. And, of course, then the other big one is the powers of attorney. You know, where people give others power of attorney over the, 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 the whatever it is, whether it's special power of attorney or general yeah. power of attorney. Maybe you guys can just take us through the, the special power of attorney and the general power of attorney and when is it appropriate to, to, to hand that power of attorney over to someone? Maybe I can just, just illustrate or just explain the different scenarios first and then Nazir can uh, get mm. more into detail. The one, if you want to give somebody a special or a general power of attorney, you might be living abroad and working abroad, but you've got some assets here, maybe you've got a house here, and you give the power of attorney to somebody you trust and say, listen, you manage the house for me, you collect the rent, you you pay the water, you pay the municipal account, you fix whatever breaks, and you know, that type of arrangement. The power of attorney is there. That person who uh, gives you the power of attorney is of sound mind at the point in time, and uh, that's fine. So you can use it, and that power of attorney can be cancelled by that person at any given time. That's the one scenario. The other scenario is that the person is not of sound mind, 
you know. Then you have to approach the courts and the curator bonus and the curator persona must be appointed to look after that person's fair, uh, welfare and the person's assets and finances. And then the last one is obviously a letters of executorship where mm-hmm. my person has passed away and that person then take care of the assets and the finances of that estate. Mm. So Nazir, you find a lot of people, you know, handling, like Faisal said now, uh, signing over power of attorney to another person. Yeah. Does that put the the person into the shoes of that person signing that uh, power of attorney over? It does, Hassan. Um, especially, well, it depends on the on, on whether there's any limitations that's stipulated in the power of attorney. But if it's just a general power of attorney, like Faisal used the example of somebody that's overseas, you're effectively becoming that person's next or shadow it's, it sounds it very dangerous way. it is extremely um for the person that's overseas and might not be knowing what's going on over here um anything could be happening in general power of attorney mm. people could be selling properties <laughs> you, you mm. wouldn't even know it because he's got the authority to do that it's mm. a it's the the relationship with the principal and the agent at the end of the day um so if you are going to intend or give somebody power of attorney over your your assets or whatever it is just make sure that the person is trustworthy and that you have um, possible limitations in place for I, I I'm not a big I'm not the biggest promoter of a general power of attorney I must be honest I, mm. I, I normally just like the, the special power of attorneys for a specific purpose but there's also something that at, at first at what point does the power of attorney terminate in other words where that person can't act on your behalf anymore well, like I said, the, the person who issues or gives the power of attorney, he or she can cancel that power of attorney at any given time yeah. and immediately. So that person who has the power of attorney cannot act on that power of attorney because I've seen the situation with regard to immovable property. So if you have a power of attorney and that person cancel the power of attorney, but you still act on that power of attorney, mm-hmm. then you possibly create or... Um, uh, committing a criminal offence because you are now continuing yeah. using the power of attorney to sell the property, to transfer the property, and to receive the proceeds of that sale. Um, you know, depending on what you do with that proceeds. Okay, but, but there's also another scenario. If somebody signed a power of attorney over to a third party, then that person then becomes of unsound mind, the ill. And they can't, of course, understand the nature of transactions. Then surely, that that power of attorney is no longer applicable. Yes, that that would be the case because now you need a curator uh, bonus and a curator persona to be appointed. Mm-hmm. So only while you have sound mind, that power of attorney can be applicable. You agree, Nazir? I agree, Hassan. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, there might be a little bit of grey area there, you know, to determine whether. The power of attorney, when it was granted, the person of sound mind does now, even now, no longer being of sound mind anymore, automatically terminated. Because um, you find a lot of scenarios where somebody had signed a, a, a power of attorney, yeah. but they um, they may be bedridden, yeah. and uh, I mean we get approached a lot as lawyers to yeah. say, no, this person is in bed, you know, mm. uh, we need a power of attorney, yeah. and then of course as a as 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 a as an ethical lawyer. Yeah. One should actually be very circumspect in drafting such a document Uh and saying to that person, wait, you can't, uh, I'm not going to draft the document, I want to see the person. 
because it's one thing just to say to the person sign there mm. and the person don't understand the nature of, of, of that signature mm. and I mean and that would essentially be an illegal act mm. but how do you prove it well, I just think it's going to, have to become a question of medical evidence, I think, at the end of the day, whether that person was of sound mind, could understand the nature and consequence of his or her actions at the time that he was executing the document. I think it will become a full-blown medical mm-hmm. investigation, and then it will probably end up in experts coming to testify at court if there is that kind of mm-hmm. litigation flowing from it. I, th- I think when there is, you know, maybe the person who is giving this power of attorney and the person acting on the power of attorney and there's no other parties, you know, around. Mm-hmm. So if that person's mental state changes um, and nobody, you know, informs the court uh, that mental status has changed, it is very difficult because this person who's got the power of attorney is not going to disclose right. it and continues acting and acting and doing as he pleases. However, I think it's the duty of the family, maybe, or the duty of uh, institutions who are, you know, confronted with this uh, situation to speak out about it and say, listen, this person cannot longer act in terms of the power of attorney. The person must be acting in terms of a curatorship. And remember, when the courts appoint the curators, they are normally qualified people to be able to act in that capacity whether it's a curator bonus or a curator persona because there's a process involved and the process entails for a curator and lead them to do an investigation and then to do a recommendation to the high court to say yes this uh, scenario um, you know makes provision for a curator bonus to be appointed and a curator persona to be appointed you know so this is this there's supposed to be qualified people who are supposed to take care of that person's assets mm-hmm. and that person's well-being co- compared to a person anybody just having a power of attorney you know and, yeah, and the possibility of squandering those assets are much greater I think mm. so I think pe- people must just be very circumspect I mean on the one hand people must be vigilant you know either enter into a particular contract that they must enter into the appropriate contract for that particular purpose I saw the one thing that you didn't mention um, companies shareholders agreements I mean, surely that document governs the, the, the rights of all shareholders. Yeah, what is important, you know, when we spoke about the PTY Limited, the private company, there are directors appointed and then you have a shareholders uh, who own the shares. So if there's 100 shares that has been um, authorized and um, there's 100 issued shares, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty about that, but those shares, that 100 shares, get split amongst the shareholders. Mm-hmm. So if there is uh, maybe five shareholders and each one get uh, 20 shares, that makes up the 100 shareholding. And you need a shareholders agreement to basically record the shareholding of that um, shareholders. And also you have share certificates that is, gets issued and you have a share register that also a date of registration of the company and the issue of the shares records all these details. Mm-hmm. As such, because remember, the shareholders of the company who appoints uh, and can remove directors 
of the company and directors are basically people who work for the company and you know manage the company as such like trustees will okay. manage the trust unfortunately that is going to be all the time where I mean, would have loved to have gone into some more contracts especially you know where people are prejudiced but so mm. for the listeners there's certain contracts that you must enter into that you're encouraged to enter into and I think the new thing that came out tonight I mean from uh, putting the three legal heads together is even spouses uh, that are only married Islamically if you own a joint property or a few joint properties it may be a good idea to enter into a partnership agreement mm. Even if you have been owners, owners of that property for many, many years, it will just cause less heartache if anything happens, if somebody dies, if there's a divorce. And then, of course, you know, the issue of the partnership is already sorted out, right. you know, before anything else. Um, on the issue of certain uh, contracts that you need to, to, to be circumspect about, you know, things like the sureties, ships, um, session agreements. I don't think we dealt to session agreements tonight. But uh, we'll do it at another time because we don't have any time left. And of course, the, the issue of um, the, uh, the powers of attorney, you know, to be very, very careful or what type of uh, documents you allow somebody to, to act on your behalf. So those are some of the issues that we've dealt with tonight. Uh, there's many, and I know there's been many questions as well, which I didn't get to. Mm. I don't know why the time uh, went so quick tonight. Yeah, I think we need to extend the program if possible, mm. son, because there was something else I wanted to also, uh, you know, speak about, which is cyber crime, which is oh, also yes, affecting course, our thing at the moment, individuals yeah. and businesses. But that we can maybe add to the next In program. fact, while we were sitting here, yeah, I just saw an email coming from the Law Society uh, that um, people are scamming, you know, saying to people, let's say you're about to pay someone, and then, of course, uh, that is that they, they intercept that and they send you a different account detail, and then mm -hmm. you just pay. Yeah, and no. the courts have actually now said it's your duty to make sure that it's the right uh, account. Yes, no, of course, yeah. And just a figure, mm -hmm. the figure in South Africa, the, the cyber crime, uh, amounts to about 5.8 billion a year. A year, 5.8 billion. Year. Yes. Aina. So it's it's a huge amount, and mm. there's such a lot of different. No, no. Types then, of then we definitely need to maybe continue this of, program and uh, maybe deal with uh, you know some of the issues pertaining to cyber crime, especially with, in fact even with individuals, not just businesses. Mm. So Faisal, just your details quickly. Yeah, I'm in Claremont, and my office number is 021 Nazir? Contactable in 021-224-0071. And you are in uh, Athlone. Athlone. And uh, the legal cafe number, people can, if you have any more questions, and I know there's been a few questions, please send that same questions through to the legal cafe number. We'll try to, to answer it on the legal cafe WhatsApp in, on 082-336-3778. Amber, 082-336-3778. And that's unfortunately all we have time for tonight on the legal hour. Um, I just want to say from my side, Faisal and Nazir's side, that we wish to say shukran to the community for allowing us to serve this community. So from my side, till next week, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins.